This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at I-bonds, which are a type of treasury instrument, and they were very popular about a year ago when inflation was very high, and now some I-bond investors are having some buyer's remorse. We're going to talk about why that is and what you can perhaps do about it, in today's episode. Now, I-bonds are a type of treasury instrument and they're unique because they have an element that fluctuates with inflation. So they're very different than a typical treasury. It's a, it's a type of savings bond that has an element of interest that adjusts with inflation. So that's pretty unique compared to a, a typical treasury instrument. So an I-bond, its interest rate is a combined rate of interest that is a combination of a fixed rate and an inflation rate. The fixed rate of interest is assigned when you purchase the bond and the fixed rate never changes over the life of the bond. The Treasury announces new fixed rates every May and November, and the fixed rate applies to all I-bonds that are issued in the intervening period. So beginning from the date they announce it in May, that fixed rate is the rate that applies for May, June, July, August, September, October, and up until the November date upon which they announce the new fixed rate. That's part of the rate of interest. Then the inflation rate is changed also every six months and it's set again in May and November. The inflation adjustment is based on the consumer price index and it includes food and energy. So we've talked about some consumer price index inflation measures in previous podcast episodes. And we know from those episodes that Food and energy are the two most volatile portions of inflation. So therefore, that means that I-bonds have the more volatile measure of interest in them. So the combined rate on an I-bond is a combination of this fixed rate and the inflation rate. And while the fixed rate is set at the beginning and doesn't change for the life of the bond, the inflation rate does. When inflation increases, the combined rate increases, and when inflation decreases, the combined rate decreases. A year ago, inflation was fairly high, and as a result, the stated rates on I-bonds were also pretty high and looked very attractive by just about any measure. But what has happened is that inflation is coming down. 
Uh, you know, some would argue not fast enough. The Fed would certainly make that argument. But nonetheless, inflation is coming down. And that, as a result, is causing I-bond interest adjustments to not be quite as high as they were. So some investors, some retirees are saying to themselves, gosh, I, I bought all I was allowed to in I-bonds about a year ago, and now I'm, I'm not so happy with them anymore, and I want to do something about it. Now, whether or not you should do something about it is a, a whole other matter, but I-bonds are becoming less popular as a result. So let's talk about I-bond characteristics in general, because I can't tell you whether or not it's a good idea for you to sell your I-bond or not. I don't know you, and everyone's situation is different, but let's talk in terms of the mechanics so that you can make a decision based on your own situation. So let's say that you hold the I-bond. How long would that be? Well, an I-bond will earn interest for 30 years unless you decide to cash it in early. So effectively, the term of an I-bond is 30 years. I-bonds, you get all of the interest at the end upon redemption when you cash it in. So you you don't receive an interest check in the mail. The interest is just accumulating. It's a big IOU from the U.S. Treasury. And when you cash in your I-bond, you get the interest and your principal back. And so here's the main thing is you can cash it in before that 30-year period if you wish. But there are some things to be aware of. You can't cash it in at all within the first 12 months of purchase. So if you bought an I-bond less than a year ago, you're stuck with it for now, but you do have options after 12 months, but you do have to hold it for 12 months. If you decide you want to cash it in within the first five years, they do charge you a penalty. So you lose the last three months of interest if you cash in an I-bond within the first five years. So let's pretend that you decide to cash in an I-bond after owning it for 24 months. You owned it exactly two years. They're going to pay you 21 months of interest, not 24. So they, they take a haircut on three months of interest if you own the bond less than five years. So that's really the key thing to consider. You have to think about where inflation is today, where the fixed rate on your particular I-bond is today, because the fixed rate today doesn't really matter unless you're buying a new new one. The fixed rate is, as it says, it's fixed. So with your I-bond, you can go to the U.S. Treasury, enter in the serial number, or if you bought it electronically, you can log in and look and see what your fixed rate is. And then you can see what the inflation component is and decide if it makes sense for you to still keep it. While they were all the craze a year or two ago, I think some folks out there lost sight of the purpose of these, which is that they are meant to be a hedge against inflation. So if you invest in an I-bond, the best you could hope for is that after 30 years, your money has the same spending power as it did when you bought it. So 
$1,000 invested in an I-bond in the year 2023 is going to have the same purchasing power in 2053 after the 30-year term if you keep it for the whole 30-year term. So while some of the rates on these bonds were getting, you know, over 8%, which is you know really high for where we have been in terms of rates for the last 10 years. At the time, that was because inflation was so high. So even while that rate seemed fantastic, it's basically was only treading water in terms of purchasing power because that same amount of money invested in an I-bond at that rate, while that certainly seemed attractive, you're really only keeping up with inflation. By definition, you really shouldn't beat inflation with an I-bond by any exciting or measurable amount, and the amount that you might beat inflation by is that fixed rate. And usually the fixed rate is very low, and at times it has been zero. So if you buy an I-bond with a fixed rate of zero, when you look at the two components, then by definition, all you could hope for with that I-bond is to keep up with inflation because all you're going to get on that I-bond is the inflation adjustment. The fixed rate part is zero. And in other periods, it's above zero, but not very much, a quarter percent, a half a percent. So you'd have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, while this total rate seems really attractive, how excited am I to only earn a quarter percent or a half a percent over inflation for the next 30 years? That's really not that much. And this is the question that some investors are asking themselves now that they've owned this for a while and they're seeing the interest rates fall, now they're kind of having second thoughts about it. That said, if you look at an I-bond as a part of your overall allocation, it can still make sense. It is wise, I think, to be diversified in a number of different ways. And one of those ways that you can diversify is into inflation hedged or hedging type instruments that keep your portfolio up with purchasing power. And by definition, an I-bond is one way to do that. A TIPS or Treasury Inflation Protected Security is another way to do that, but in a securitized form. But they both serve the same function, which is to have a fixed rate and an inflation rate so that you have an adjustment with inflation. As inflation goes up, you earn more interest. As inflation goes down, you earn less. But in a perfect world, you're really just going to keep up with inflation. You're not going to create any wealth. You're just going to protect wealth that is already there from being eroded away by inflation. So that doesn't mean that it's a bad investment. Now, in its absolute terms, seeing the rate come down from what it was can certainly get people's attention. But if you all along looked at this as just a part of your portfolio meant to hedge inflation, then really nothing has changed. The rate is coming down because inflation has come down. They're a perfect match in that regard. But if you purchased this as a absolute return investment without thinking about the hedging characteristics and just said, wow, eight, nine percent looked really good, so I bought it, then yeah, I could see why you're disappointed now. Keep in mind that the most important part of investing is understanding what you're buying. And I think a lot of people out there just jumped in on the I-bonds, and luckily you're not able to actually purchase that much, so you're capped at how much you can buy in a particular year per person. 
but I think a lot of people saw the great rates and jumped in and didn't really think about, well, if inflation's down a whole bunch in two or three years, then I'm really not earning that much on these. Five years ago, nobody was excited about I-bonds because when inflation was nearly zero and the fixed rate was nearly zero, then these bonds earned nearly nothing. But what's interesting is that on a purchasing power standpoint, they basically earn the same then as they do now. It's just that they're paying more interest because inflation has gone up so much. They're, they're hedging like they're supposed to be. So whether or not you should sell it is certainly up to you and what your long-term objectives are and your goals are. And if it's within 12 months, you're going to have to wait a little bit. If it's within five years, you're going to have to pay that three-month penalty. But if it's after five years, which I think most I-bond investors today bought it you know, a year or two ago, so you're still in that penalty period, I think you have to decide if it's really worth it to take that penalty or not. And if you decide to sell it, another important investing question is always, well, what is the opportunity set if I decide to make a change? So if you decide to sell an I-bond, what are you going to buy with the proceeds? And how much better is that? Whatever you decide to buy instead of an I-bond, if you decide to redeem your I-bond, what are the pros of that investment? What are the cons? What are the risks? What are the potential rewards? What are the fees? And then truly evaluate whether it makes sense for you to sell an I-bond. Keep in mind, another great characteristic of an I-bond is that it is a treasury instrument backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, which, uh, as we talked about in our last episode, isn't quite as sterling as it once was. We're now only AAA rated by Moody's. We're one notch below on the S&P scale and one notch below on the Fitch rating scale. But nonetheless, the U.S. is still an extremely high credit quality entity. Real quick, before we wrap up, let's talk tax. So let's say you decide to redeem the I-bond. Well, do you pay tax? Let's talk about it. So interest on your I-bond is subject to federal income tax, but not state and local tax. Now, as far as the bond interest on an I-bond, you actually have two choices. You can report all of the interest when you cash out the bond, and I believe that this is what most people do. You'd get a form, a 1099, that explains the interest that you occurred, incurred on that bond, and all of the interest earned would be due at the time of redemption. Alternatively, you are actually allowed to report the interest you earn every year, each year. Now, the advantage of this is that you're spreading out it over time. The challenge is that it's a little harder to find this information, and you have to be careful when the bond is redeemed because the 1099 at redemption will still so show all of the interest due. So you have to be very careful about how you have to inform the IRS to say, hey, actually, I paid interest over the life of this bond versus what this 1099 says. So let's go back to what most people do. And most people defer to pay tax on the interest until they actually receive it when they cash out. So that's something to keep in mind. So if you decide to cash in your I-bond this year, and it's you've owned it less than five years, you're going to pay tax on the interest, 
plus you're going to pay that three-month penalty, which it's not like it's a imputed penalty. It's not like you're going to get the cash and then have to write a check for the penalty. You just get the net. You get less cash. And then you're going to pay tax on the interest earned. So there's a tax impact to cashing out. But, you know, you could elect to hold and then pay all the tax at the end. But, of course, there's more tax at the end. It's a, a pro and a con. Well, that wraps up today's episode on I-bonds. I know a lot of people purchased them when the, within the last couple of years because the rates have been so high. And now some people are having second thoughts, buyer's remorse. It's a tough call as to whether or not it's appropriate for you to cash out because... I-bonds do have a lot of great characteristics for the purpose that they serve, but admittedly that interest rate is not as high as it once was. I encourage you to evaluate all the things we talked about today in the context of your overall portfolio, in the context of your overall financial plan, and in the context of your tax situation this year to decide if it's appropriate for you to make a move with your I-bonds. And if you have a financial planner, I encourage you to talk to them too, as well as your CPA, to better understand the tax impacts of making this decision. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.